0: Hey, we want to thank you for listening today to a sermon from Edwards Lake Church. And we hope that you recognize the message of God as we open his word together and examine his incredible life-changing teaching. We pray that this message will challenge you, motivate you, or touch you in some way. Let's open the Bible together.
1: You have said, and the remarkable thing is, the Bible says in Ezra chapter 10 and verse number 16, then the returned exiles did so. How incredible is this? By the words of one man, 111 men repented of their sins, put away their wives, and returned to the Lord. And so this evening, as we consider Ezra chapters 9 and 10, we ask ourselves, how? How in the world? How in the world was one man, Ezra, able to make a difference? How was Ezra able to inspire? How was Ezra able to motivate 111 men to change their lives? One word. Ashes. Ezra was a man of passion. The word passion is defined as having strong or barely controllable emotions for someone or for something. And here in Ezra chapters 9 through 10, we see that Ezra was a man who had strong and barely controllable emotions for the Lord, for the people of God, and for the Word of God. And his passion, Ezra's passion, is seen in his grief it is heard in his prayers and it is expressed in his preaching. The year was about 458 B. Remnant of Jewish exiles have just returned out of Babylonian captivity back into Jerusalem, and when they get to Jerusalem, things are on the up and up. Things look great for God's people. The temple had been rebuilt. The king of Assyria was in good graces with God's people, and there was much joy, jubilation, and gladness throughout all of the land. And so, when the scribe Ezra gets to the scene, he hopes to make things even better. Ezra hoped to reestablish temple worship, and he hoped to teach the people the law of God. But sadly, sadly when Ezra got to the scene, things were not as great, as he would have imagined, things were far worse than Ezra would have likely ever imagined. When Ezra got to the scene, he realizes that the people had physically and polluted, physically and polluted themselves with the ways of the world. The holy race of God had been defiled. In Ezra chapter nine, Ezra chapter nine and verse number one, the Bible says, "The scribe speaking." After these things had been done, the officials approached me and said, The people of Israel and the priests and the Levites had not separated themselves from the people of the lands with their abominations from the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Jebusites, the Ammonites, the Moabites, the Egyptians, and the Amorites. For they have taken some of their daughters to be wives for themselves and for their sons, so that the holy race has mixed itself with the people of the land, and in this faithlessness, the hand of the officials and the chief men have been foremost. When Ezra gets to the scene, he realizes that the people had not been faithful to the Lord. These Jewish men had begun to marry heathen, pagan, and godless women. They had begun giving their sons to these heathen, pagan, and godless women. Many of these Jewish men were divorcing their Hebrew wives in order to marry these foreign women. And this wasn't a problem that was simply going on with a common townsperson. This was a problem that had infiltrated into the Jewish religious leadership. In fact, this was a problem that was foremost among the Jewish religious leadership. God's people were deliberately and blatantly transgressing the will of God. God had told the people very clearly centuries ago through the mouth of His prophet Moses in Deuteronomy chapter 7 and verse number 3, You shall not intermarry with them, giving your daughters to their sons or taking their daughters for your sons, for they will turn away your sons from following me serve other gods. As we have considered all of this, some of you may be thinking, what's the problem? Why is it so bad that these Jews are marrying people from other countries? That sounds racist. It sounds discriminatory. It sounds prejudice. No, friends, this has absolutely nothing to do with race. It has nothing to do with what side of the tracks these women lived on. This had everything to do with God's people maintaining their spiritual distinction from the people of the world. And here in Ezra chapter 9, the scribe Ezra realizes realizes that if God's people continue to physically and spiritually pollute themselves with the ways of the world, the holy race of God will be defiled. These were God's chosen people. They were His covenant people. They were His set-apart people through them all nations. The Father would bring the Messiah into this world. However, however, if they continue to and spiritually pollute themselves with the ways of the world, the wrath of God would be kindled. God would have to destroy His people and start all over again. And so Ezra realizing the implications of this, when he gets to the city of Jerusalem and he sees what is going on, He grieves in a very passionate way. In Ezra chapter 9, Ezra chapter 9, starting verse number 3, the scribe says As soon as I heard this, I tore my garment and my cloak and pulled hair from my head and beard and sat appalled. Then all who trembled at the words of the God of Israel because of the faithlessness of the returned exiles, gathered around me while I sat appalled until evening sacrifice. When the scribe sees what has happened in Jerusalem, he grieves. He rips the hair from his head. He tears the hair out of his beard. He rips his clothes. He sits in the open square completely and totally horrified, not eating or drinking all day and all night. He is so angry. He is so bothered. He is so filled with grief by what has taken place in Jerusalem. When the scribe gets to the scene, his passion, his passion is seen in his grief. But not only that, when Ezra got to the scene, not only was his passion seen in his grief, but it was heard in his prayers. It was heard in his prayers after the scribe grieves in such a passionate way. He rises from his fasting with his torn garment and cloak in his hand. He casts himself back down to the ground. He throws up his hands in the air and he cries out to the Lord. In Ezra chapter 9, in verse number 6, saying, "'O oh my God, I am ashamed and blushed to lift my face to You, my God. For our iniquities have risen higher than our heads and our guilt has mounted up to the heavens.' From the days of our fathers to this day, we have been in great guilt. The scribe pours out his heart to the Lord in prayer. And I am so incredibly impressed by his prayer. Did you notice the type of pronouns that Ezra uses in this prayer? The text says in Ezra chapter 9 and verse 6, the scribe says, I am ashamed. For our iniquities have risen higher than our heads, and our guilt has mounted up to the heavens. From this day, we have been in great guilt. I, our, we. Ezra is including himself. He's including himself in the sins and in the iniquities of his people. He hasn't done anything wrong. Ezra just got to the scene. Ezra was a faithful man of God. The Bible says in Ezra chapter 7 and verse 10 that Ezra was a man who set his heart to study the law, to practice the law, and to teach the law in all of Israel. And so why? And so why here in Ezra chapter 9 is he including himself in the horrible and gross sins and iniquities of his people? Because he was passionate about his people. He was passionate about his Lord. And he was passionate about the Word of God. As this prayer continues in Ezra chapter 10, Ezra chapter 10 and verse 1, the Bible says, While Ezra prayed and made confession, weeping and casting himself down before the house of God, a very great assembly of men, women, and children gathered to him out of Israel for the people wept bitterly. And Shekhaniah, the son of Jehiel of the sons of Elam, addressed Ezra. We have broken faith with our God and have married foreign women from the people of the land. But even now, there is hope in Israel in spite of this. Ezra's prayer was so intense. It was so heartfelt. It was so moving. It was so captivating. It was so passionate that this great crowd of men, women, and children are surrounding him and they are weeping bitterly as the scribe prayed the passion that Ezra had moved hundreds and hundreds of people to turn to the Lord. When Ezra got to the scene and he realized that Israel had messed up, when he got to the scene and he saw the physical and spiritual chaos that was going on around him, he exuded a tremendous amount of passion. His passion was seen in his grief. It was heard in his prayers, and it was expressed in his preaching. Three days after this very passionate prayer, a great crowd of men, women, and children gather around the shrine. They're trembling. They're trembling because of the heavy rain. They're trembling because of the matter. And they're trembling because of the very powerful and passionate Preaching of the scribe. The text says in Ezra chapter 10. Ezra chapter 10 starting verse number 9. Then all of the men of Judah and Benjamin assembled at Jerusalem within the three days. It was the ninth month on the 20th day of the month. And all of the people sat in the open square before the house of God, trembling because of this matter and because of the heavy rain. And Ezra the priest stood up and said to them, You have broken faith, and married foreign women, and so increase the guilt of Israel. Now then, make confession to the Lord, the God of your fathers, and do His will. Separate yourselves from the people of the land and from the foreign wives. Verse 12, Ezra chapter 10 and verse 12, then all of the assembly answered with a loud voice, It is so, we must do as you have said. Ezra chapter 10 and verse number 16. Then the returned exiles did so. Ezra chapter 10 and verse number 19. They pledged themselves to put away their wives and their guilt offering was a ram of the flock for their guilt. Ezra chapter 10 and verse number 44. All of these had married foreign women and some of the women had even bore children. His preaching was so intense. It was so heartfelt. It was so fervent. It was so captivating. It was so eloquent. It was so passionate that this great crowd of 111 men resolved to do better. They put away their wives. They repented of their sins. And they returned to the Lord. Ezra was a man. Passion. Today is June the 6th, 2021, and sadly, we are living in a world that has been defiled. Like Ezra, we are living in a world that looks absolutely nothing like what God intended it to look like. We are living in a world that is totally, spiritually defiled. We have been reminded of this with this Pride Month that our nation is celebrating. Our nation is literally celebrating sin. And there are men and women who bear the name of Christ who sit back and they say absolutely nothing. They sit back and they ignore the sin. They turn a blind eye to the sin. They act as if it's no big deal. We'll just wait until July and then we'll start preaching. At the beginning of the month, I thought hard and hard and hard about whether I should post a Bible verse on my Facebook page that called out homosexuality. And I'm not going to lie, I was scared to post the verse. Because I knew I would get a whole lot of backlash from people. People would think I'm a Pharisee. People would think I thought that I was better than everyone. But why is it that the sinful people in our world can profess what they believe in and stand up for what they believe in, but Christians can't? How come I'm so afraid to to preach the Word of God. If I, am a, as a gospel preacher, am admitting that I was afraid to post a Bible verse on my Facebook page, then can you imagine all of the other Christians all across the world who are afraid to do the same? If we expect to make a difference in this world, then we're going to have to be men and women of passion. We have to be passionate about the Lord, about the people of God, and about the Word of God. That is the only way that we can make a difference in this spiritually defiled world. When we see sin, it should bother us. Ezra grieved. He tore the hair from his head and his beard. He ripped his clothes. He fasted and he sat appalled. Is that our reaction to sin? All throughout Scripture, we see how men and women of God hate sin. The psalmist said in Psalm 119, verse 136, My eyes shed streams of tears because people do not keep your law. In Psalm 119, verse 139, the psalmist says, My zeal consumes me because my foes forget your words. In Psalm 119, verse 158, I look at the faithless with disgust because they do not keep your commands. Are are our eyes filled with streams of tears? Are we consumed with zeal? Are we disgusted by all of the sin, godlessness, and wickedness that we see around us? Does sin bother us? If not, shame on us. In Amos chapter 6, the prophet Amos pronounced woes upon God's people for tolerating sin, for turning a blind eye to sin, for not being bothered by sin. Woe to you who lie on your beds of ivory. You're stretched out on your couches. You're drinking the best wine. You're eating the best food. You're listening to all this wonderful, fancy music. You're doing all of this nice stuff, but you couldn't care less about the ruin of Joseph. You're not bothered by all of the sin that is around you. You're living your best life but you couldn't care less about the godlessness in the world around you. You could not care less about the spiritual corruption in this world. We all have to ask ourselves tonight, is that me? Am I truly bothered? Am I truly concerned about the chaos around me? 1 Corinthians chapter 5, the Apostle Paul enters into the church in Corinth. And he is aghast when he realizes that these brethren, these people who bear the name of Christ, have been tolerating a man who is living in sin. A man who is having inappropriate relations with his father's wife. This was a type of sin that even pagans wouldn't tolerate. But God's people were tolerating it. Paul says, you all are boasting in this. You should mourn. You should grieve. You should be upset. Sin should bother you. Sin should motivate us to do something. Paul told those Christians in Corinth, this man's sin should motivate you to get him out of the church. Because when children of God tolerate sinners, it's important, it's important that we Sin because our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ was upset by sin. In Isaiah chapter 53, the prophet Isaiah describes the suffering servant as a man of sorrows who is very familiar and very acquainted with grief. In Matthew chapter 23, as Jesus enters into the city of Jerusalem, he cries out, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, O Jerusalem! Jerusalem! The city that stones the prophets and kills those who are sent to it. I wish. I wish I I could have taken care of you. I wanted to gather you up like a hen gathers her brood, but I couldn't. Oh, Jerusalem. He wept over the city. Because the city was full of sin. In John chapter 11, Jesus enters into Bethany. He sees a great crowd of Jews who are weeping and wailing. They're upset. They're crying. They're grieving over the death of Lazarus. In the shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. Why did he weep? He wept because Lazarus had died. Why did Lazarus die? Lazarus died because sin entered into this world. And because sin entered into this world, all men died. And as human beings, when those who we love pass away, we grieve, we're upset, we mourn, and we lament. Sin bothered our Lord. Sin is a big deal. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse number 21, the Bible tells us that Christ became sin. Christ became sin so that we would be the righteousness of God. I'm so glad. I'm so thankful that I don't have to bear my own sins and my own iniquities on my shoulder. Because it's me who deserves to be slapped. It's me who deserves to be beaten. It's me who deserves to be spit at. I deserve to have a crown of thorns twisted on my head, and I deserve to hang on a cross. I deserve to die, but Jesus did. Jesus died for my sins. And so how could we? How could we? How could we leave this building and go out into this world and simply turn a blind eye to sin? How could we leave this building and go out into this world and tolerate sin and celebrate sin? How could we leave this world and ignore sin and act as if it's no big deal? When there was a man some 2,000 years ago by the name of Jesus who died. we expect to make a difference in this world, then we're going to grieve over sin, and we're going to fear. When Ezra saw the spiritual chaos and corruption around him, he fell down on his face and he poured out his heart to God in prayer. Are we praying about the problems that we see in this world? I know we talk about them. I know we vent about them on Facebook. I know we vent about them to our best friend. I know we do that. But are we praying about the problems? We come here on Sunday mornings, we come here on Sunday evenings, we come here on Wednesday nights, and we talk about the power of prayer. But do we really believe that prayer is powerful? Do we really believe that prayer can change the hearts and the minds of men? Do we really believe that when we pray, we're communicating with our creator who can make a difference in this world? Jesus believed it. In John chapter 17 and verse 17, many translations give it the uninspired heading, the high priestly prayer. This is moments before Christ would pour out his blood for the sins of the world. Christ would pour out his blood for a world that hated him. A world that mocked Him, beat Him, rejected Him, spit on Him, and nailed Him to a cross. Jesus prayed that this world would be sanctified in truth. That this world that hated Him would be set apart in truth. That they would come to know, that they would come to appreciate, and that they would come to obey the truth of God's Word. Christ prayed for the good of His enemy. Christ prayed for the good of the sinner. Do you pray for the good of your enemy? Do you pray for the welfare of the sinner? If you truly believe that the effectual fervent prayer of the righteous man has great power and is working, when we see the sin out in this world, we're going to fall down on our faces. We're going to pour out our hearts to God. If we expect to make a difference in this world, then we're going to be men and women of passion. Our passion must be seen in our grief, heard in our prayers, and expressed in our preaching. Ezra boldly and confidently preached the Word of God. He stood in that assembly, and he cried out to those people, you have broken faith, you have increased the guilt of Israel, repent of your sins, put away your wives and return to the Lord. In that moment, he could have preached some shallow, watered-down message. He could have told the people that what they were doing wasn't that bad and and God is so gracious, He's so loving, and He's so kind that He'll just give them a slap on the wrist and and on the last day just tell them to come on in. That's what he could have done. Or, Or he could have not said a word. He could have just ignored the sin. He could have just sat back and and, and just chilled. Or he could have joined in with the people. He could have joined in on it. he could have went and found him some heathen and married her. Those are all of the options, but Ezra was a man who was full of passion. He was a man who wasn't just going to let this slide. He stood up and he preached the Word of God. He told them exactly what they had done wrong. He told them exactly what they needed to do right. And He told them exactly what would happen if they did not do right. Is that how you are going to respond to what you see going on in our world today? Are you going to stand up and boldly preach the Word of God? Centuries ago, Centuries ago, the Apostle Paul told the young evangelist Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse number 3 that there was going to come a day, there was going to come a day when men wouldn't be able to endure sound doctrine. But instead, to suit their own desires, they're going to gather themselves around a great number of teachers to tell them what their teaching ears want to hear. There is going to come a day, there is going to come a time, Timothy, when men and women are not going to want to hear what you have to say. They're going to turn a blind eye to what you have to say. They're going to tell you to be quiet. And if you keep on preaching, they may throw you in prison. They may take you away from your family. They may kill you. They may execute you. They may chop your head off. But Timothy, Timothy, I want you to hear me. I want you to hear me. In spite of all that may happen to you, in spite of what this world may say to you, in spite of what they may do to you, I want you to always preach the Word of God. I want you to always be in season and out of season. I want you to exhort. I want you to rebuke with all long suffering and patience. I want you to never, ever, ever, ever stop boldly and confidently declaring the Word of God because it is the Word of God that changes lives. The Word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces to the division of soul, spirit, joints, and of marrow. And it is a discerner of the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. There is nothing, there is absolutely nothing on this side of heaven that is as powerful as God's Word. And so why not? Why not go out into this world and boldly proclaim it? It is such a blessing from God. Jesus in his great commission said, go into all of the world and preach the gospel to all creation. In Romans chapter 10, the apostle Paul said, how shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? How shall the world call on a God in whom they have not believed? How shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? How shall the United States believe in a God of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear, Paul says, without someone preaching to them? How shall Birmingham, Alabama, hear without each and every one of you preaching the word of God? How beautiful, Paul concludes, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace. He didn't say their feet were beautiful because they got a pedicure. He said their feet were beautiful because the gospel is a beautiful thing. And it's not just Adam Shank's responsibility. It's not just my responsibility. It's not just the elder's responsibility. It's not just the Bible class teacher's responsibility to proclaim the word of God. It's all of our responsibility. And if we expect, if we hope to make a difference in the We're going to wake up every single day and exude a tremendous amount of passion. We're going to be passionate for the Word of God, for the people of God, and ultimately for our Lord and Savior who has created all of us and sent His Son. Is this you? If not, why not? If not, start today. If you're here this evening, you're not a Christian, we invite you to respond to the gospel call, hear, believe, repent, confess, have your sins washed away in baptism, rising forth, walking in newness of life. If you've done that before, but you've made mistakes and you would like to get right tonight, have any other spiritual need that we can help you with, please come to the front while we stand and sing the song of the invitation. Hosanna, you're my
0: Thanks for listening and studying God's word with us. We want to help you draw closer to Jesus as your Lord. If you feel some need as a result of today's message, whether that be a need to seek God's salvation, or you are just in the need of prayers, please reach out to us. You can find out more about us, including contact information at edwardslakechurch.org. If you want to continue to open God's word with us, please check out other sermons on our podcast or come visit with us at Edwards Lake Church anytime you can. Thanks again, and we pray God's blessings for you.